God delivered the people Israel, his children, from slavery to freedom. They had been enslaved for some 400 years under the Egyptians. The book of Exodus chronicles this story of deliverance. God desired that the Israelites, in their freedom, would be a holy people, set apart from all the other nations in and around the land of Canaan. In this context, God now enters into a special covenant relationship with the people of Israel. Or as Pastor Aaron said just a minute ago, it's kind of like a contract. This was a wonderful opportunity for blessing and rich meaning in life brought about by the power and presence of God. Now that the Israelites have this new and special relationship with God, they need to know how to live as these people. Kind of like when a teacher starts a new year and creates a class contract. So God led them on an intentional journey through the wilderness. I don't think that the people were ready to enter into this covenant right after they crossed through the Red Sea. I believe that it was God's purpose to lead them through the wilderness so that they were teachable and could understand what it meant to be community. And while there in the desert, God showed them his faithfulness. They would learn to overcome hardship and depend on God's protection, much like we have had to do over this past year in our wilderness experience. Three months into their journey, the Bible tells us in chapter 19, they arrived at the desert of Sinai, where they camped at the base of the mountain called Mount Sinai. Once oppressed, they were now free. They no longer had to live in fear. But they needed some basic guidelines or life rules so that they could exist in community. So there in the desert, while God had their full attention, God reminded them that they were a family. And that as a family, there were certain basic fundamental ways that they were to exist. God gave them some boundaries. If you like sports, or even if you don't like sports, you know that there are some basic rules that exist in order to play the game properly and safely. For example, in football, you can hit hard all you want in the right way, but you sure can't grab a face mask to tackle somebody. In basketball, you can foul someone, but you can't commit a flagrant foul. Nicholas, as you're a lacrosse, lacrosse player, you know that in lacrosse you can't cross-check a defenseless player. Or those of you who play soccer, well, if you violate the rules and commit unsportsmanlike conduct, it will yield a yellow card. All sports have boundaries. There are some things that you can do in order to play the game safely and properly, but there are some things, well, some boundaries you can't cross. And if you do, well, there will be a penalty for that. In a way, God created boundaries for the people of Israel. And there would be consequences if they stepped outside those boundaries. They could hurt one another or hurt themselves. 
this basic rule book for the community of Israel were the Ten Commandments. I like to consider them a covenant in community. It's important to know that God didn't simply bark out ten rules and give them to Moses on two stone tablets. And it's important to remember that the Ten Commandments are not just a a list of do's and don'ts or shalls and shall nots. Rather, these are fundamental ethical framework for living together in community. They came from within their relationship with God, their creator. This was a covenant that God entered into with them and gave them some responsibilities that they were to keep. This is not a brand new covenant. God had entered into a special covenantal relationship with human beings at creation. Just by creating them, there was this agreement, this covenant that God would provide, that God would guide, that God would give grace and mercy. And God had entered into a covenantal relationship with, Mo- with Noah and said, Never again will I destroy the world by flood and gave a sign to Noah and his family of a rainbow among the clouds. And every time God saw that rainbow, God would be reminded of that covenant that God had made with Noah. And God had expanded the covenant with Abram, as we heard last Sunday, and set forth responsibilities on Abram and his family and extended family as they were his children. And now hundreds of years later, God was reaffirming the covenant that he had made with creation and all those since by giving God's people some boundaries to live by. This ancient list would become the basis for many of the ethical and legal standards that exist in the world even today. It's tempting to do, it's tempting to go right to the list and just try to explain each one and make a tidy sermon with two positive commands, the do's, and the eight negative commandments, the don'ts. But I'd like, I think there's more than that. I'd like to spend some time looking at the relationship part in this covenant with God in chapter 19 that helps us to make sense of what we just heard in chapter 20. And even more relevant to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Listen to how Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase of the Bible gives us Exodus 19 verses 1 through 8. Three months after leaving Egypt, the Israelites entered the wilderness of Sinai. They followed the route from Rephidim, arrived at the wilderness of Sinai, and set up camp. Israel camped there facing the mountain. In verse 3, as Moses went up to meet God, God called down to him from the mountain. Speak to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, you have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. If you'll listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, all of the people out of all the peoples, you'll be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from, but you're special, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. Moses came back and called the elders of Israel together and set before them all these words which God had commanded him. 
And then verse 8, the people were unanimous in their response. Everything God says, we will do. Moses took the people's answer back to God. God reminded the people of what they had just been through before they arrived in the desert. That God had divided the waters of the Red Sea. Literally a wall of water on either side stood up and the people walked through on dry ground. After they looked back and saw the waters crash in on Pharaoh's armies. After this, they feared the Lord and put their trust in the Lord and in Moses, God's servant. God had allowed the people to see the miracle of bitter water changed to sweet drinking water, suitable for their quenched, dry, parched throats. In the desert, they saw God provide bread from heaven, manna, and quail from the earth, meat to give them protein. They had plenty for each day and an ample supply for the seventh day, for they were not supposed to work or, or gather manna on the seventh day. God allowed them to see water come from a rock, their enemies defeated, and Moses powerfully and miraculously strengthened. So in chapter 19, we see that God gathers the people at the mountains to give them these basic standards of how to live and exist in community. But God does this through reminding him of what they had experienced. God did this through reminding them of their story, of what they had just seen God do, that God was real, that God was trustworthy. God not only had delivered them from 400 years of shackles and hard labor, but God was going to do something very special with and through his children. God said, you have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And Philip, I don't know if the song that the our, our youth choir, United Praise, just sang a little bit ago, I Will Rise. I don't know if you had gone back to chapter 19 and see that verse about rising on eagles' wings and being carried. Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit has orchestrated that as you all have sung that and it's right here in God's word. God is in chapter 19 reminding them of how he protected them and how he loved them. And he said, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. As I was preparing for this morning, I had to do a pause on that verse. It's chapter 19, verse 4. What does it mean to be carried on eagle's wings? What is God saying uh, to Israel here? If you have an opportunity sometime soon, go online and just do a little research on eagle's nests and how eagles and a mother eagle cares for her young. An eagle will make her nest with a base of thorns, sticks, and prickly branches. She then adds layers of feathers and soft material to provide a comfortable nest for her young. But as they grow and mature, she will get rid of the feathers and the softer material so that the sticks and thorns are what's left. 
this will make her young very uncomfortable in the nest. And they will want to get out. They will want to get away from the prickly. They want to climb out. But they may not yet be ready to fly. And a mother eagle will allow them to drop out of the nest. Or sometimes she will pick them up with her talons and let them free fall some and try to fly. And then the mother eagle will swoop in and rescue them, if not, and carry them back to the nest. This is a beautiful image of what you all have sung this morning and a beautiful image of what the scripture is telling us that God said to the people in anticipation of this set of boundaries that God was going to give them. It's a beautiful image that we see in scripture. It's the same image that we also find in Isaiah 41, that those who wait on the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And there are other passages in Scripture that refer to being carried as on eagles' wings. God has given this picture to the people to remind them of how he has protected them and loved them and provided for them in all of these ways. And then when it gets tough in the wilderness, when it gets difficult to follow these commandments, he's saying, remember where you came from. Remember how I carried you and did not drop you, but protected you. Like a mother eagle, God is saying, I am going to put you at risk. There will be some discomfort here in the wilderness, but I am here with you. Moses is to emulate this eagle-like manner in his leadership as well, imitating the way that God leads. The leading is not a romanticized, as one writer says, soaring up in the wind, but a constant testing and pushing. It is not about how many babies we can carry on our backs, but how many of our released young have learned to fly on their own. Every parent hopes that eventually their children finish their education and go into the workplace and they can live out and, and survive on their own. But parents know that they are there to provide help and encouragement. And sometimes, like after college, I moved back in with my parents for a while because I needed that help until I could get a job and get on my own. Jesus had the same mentality. He led his disciples to a place and to a point, and then he knew that it was his time to die on the cross, and they would be on their own, but he would be with them in spirit. God is like that with us, even to this day. This great covenant between God and his people is a statement of divine grace that calls forth a grateful obedience in response. God would give the Ten Commandments as boundary markers for a free life in the land of promise. Law or Torah is guided or grounded, I would say grounded in this story and in God's grace. Deliverance out of the land of Egypt is the context for a life code that would lead to an expansive, not a restrictive life together. The Ten Commandments are certainly found here in Exodus chapter 20, but they are restated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 with some slight variations. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we find the term the Shema, 
which was how the commands are to be taught in the family and in the community and lived out and applied on a daily basis. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This is what Jesus quoted when the Pharisees tested him and asked him about the greatest commandment. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you know it, love your neighbor as who? Yourself. The Ten Commandments have this structure to them. You can summarize them as Jesus did in two sentences. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love neighbor as yourself. Jesus made it very clear. There's a progression from God outward. It begins with the relationship with God, this covenant with God. And in keeping the commands, we remember the story, just as chapter 19 helped the Israelites remember where they had come from and remember the provisions, protection, and promises of God. Remember the story. It helped them have reverence for God, the first part the love God part, and respect for people, the love others part. And all ten of them help guard God's and our reputation. We might say that commandments one through four are vertical in nature. And commandments five through ten are horizontal in nature. Vertical meaning relationship with God horizontal relationships with one another. The two tablets seem to reflect this division, the God rules, verses 1 through 11, and the people rules, verses 12 through 17. But really, the divisions are intertwined. Our understanding of neighborly obligations flows from our knowledge of God and as a a, a unitary and supreme God of creation who demands unwavering obedience and worship. One writer calls it ethical monotheism, worship of one God with being responsible to neighbor. There is no ambiguity. There is one God, and God has given us the responsibilities of how we are to treat one another. Sort of like in our families at home. There are responsibilities that we have in ways we treat each other in our homes. And this outflows to other places as we practice our faith. Although the rules of the second tablet flow from the first, we don't have to be like super religious or godly to understand their importance. If we live in community, we must abide by these shoulds and oughts. It's the only way a community can thrive and survive. This morning we stopped and we remember the Ten Commandments, not the highest peaks of spiritual achievement, 
But the basic DNA of all life, a life that we share with all creation, or to put it in words that comes from the Psalter reading that you heard just a little earlier today, the Kent the Ten Commandments are the rock and bedrock on which every life should be built. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I'd like to suggest to us that the intersection of the vertical commandments and the horizontal commandments is best described in the cross of Jesus Christ. God knew that human beings needed more than a code of living, more than do's and don'ts, more than oughts and shoulds, that they needed a Savior. And God gave His Son as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. The cross of Jesus Christ, the vertical and the horizontal together, remind us that when we fall short of God's ideal way for loving Him and treating one another, that the grace of God is our rescuer. By His grace we are saved. By His grace we are transformed and redeemed, and we are reconciled to God, our Creator, and with one another in the vertical relationship and the horizontal revealed to us in the love of Jesus Christ and symbolized in the cross. Through the cross, by His wonderful cross, we are made right by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.